Acts chapter 13. We saw last week at verses 1 through 12 how that Paul and Barnabas and John Mark, and John Mark was Barnabas' nephew, had came to a place called Cyprus. Cyprus was the place where Barnabas and Mark were from, so they would probably be glad to be see some of their family while they were there, but that was not the main reason they were there. They were there to bring the gospel to these people, and while they were there, there was a man in Cyprus. He was a sorcerer. He was a magician, so-called. He was a trickster, and his name was Sergius Paulus. He was trying to turn away this man, Sergius Paulus, from the truth. This man, Sergius Paulus, wanted to hear the gospel. He inquired about Paul and Barnabas and asked them to come speak to him. Well, here you have this sorcerer over here, and he's, he's made himself rich, and he's got influence with this Sergius Paulus. He was a very prominent man in that city, and he's trying to turn this man away from the truth. Now, this man believes in, in a god. This man believes in the scriptures. And what he's doing, he's saying, don't believe Paul and Barnabas. They're lying to you. They're trying to turn them away from the truth. And Paul fixes his eyes on that man. And you know what he called that man? He said, you son of the devil. His name means son of or a son of Jesus but he was not the son of Jesus he was the son of the devil and Paul said you son of the devil why do you always try to pervert the right ways of God he said you're going to be blind and not able to see for a season and God smote him with blindness wonder hadn't God killed God hadn't killed him he just killed King Herod back in chapter 12 he killed Ananias and Sapphira and it was mercy that he just blinded him for a little season. But that man wanted to turn away this man from the truth. And things have not changed. What we see happening in the book of Acts are the very things that have always happened all the way down through history. When God puts it in somebody's heart to a desire to know more about Christ and the gospel, somebody or something's going to rise up to try to keep you from Christ. From the truth of Christ, they will always be false preachers, always, who try to turn away men from the truth, especially like when the Lord would begin dealing with somebody that said, well, you, you remember that profession you made years ago? You know, you're a good person. You're not as bad as some people, but, you know, you're not that bad. No, that doesn't matter, but that's things that they use. This matter of salvation is serious, and Paul knew it. And Paul rebuked that man, and Paul had... Now, see, the gifts that the apostles have, we don't have those today. Men would try to... They'd try to cast out devils and things like that. We, they don't know what they're doing. But Paul did, and it got enabled him. He, you know what he did? He exposed that man for who he was. No, Both of them are not right. Either this man's right and Paul and Barnabas are wrong or vice versa. And he re the gospel will always reveal the lie. 
that man had never seen anything like this before, and Sergius Paulus had never heard anything like this before. And it says, and now, uh, verse 12, then the deputy, when he saw what was done, believed. It is impossible for you to believe apart from grace. You may believe facts, you may believe doctrine, but it is impossible for you to believe without Christ. But he believed, being astonished at the doctrine of the Lord. He's not astonished at the doctrine of Paul. It's the doctrine. He really is God. This man over here, he's just pretending. You know what, you know what trick, uh, magic is? It's just sleight of hand. That's all it is. You, you think it's a trick. You think it's, you saw, you think it's magic. This thing of salvation is not magic. It's real. Okay, but they didn't stay here long. We don't know what else they did while they were here. It's not recorded. But when they departed from Perga, down in verse 13, now when Paul and his company loosened from Pathos, they came to Perga and Pamphylia, and John departed from them, returned to Jerusalem. Always notice the details in Scripture. Up to now, it's been Barnabas and Saul. When they talked about they were men gifted to teach, they listed these men, and the last one to mention is Saul. Now it says, now when Paul, that's his Roman name, Saul is his Hebrew name, and Paul means the little one. He could have literally been a small man, or he, or he saw himself little. He said, I am less than the least of all men. Now, that's pretty small. You pick out the least, the least one, I'm less than him. But it says now when Paul and his company, doesn't even mention Barnabas, when Paul and his company... The Lord has raised up this man for a purpose. This man is the man that God's going to use to take the gospel to the whole world. And that's what he's beginning to do now. When they come to Cyprus, look on a map. We just read that thing and we th read those words and we think, well, he just took a stroll down the road. No, he had to sail on his ship. And see, when, they, when he and his company loosed from Paphos, that means they got on a ship and they're going to sail through this sea to another place. Why? To preach the gospel. They came to Perga and Pamphylia, and Luke just makes this simple statement. John departed from them to Jerusalem. John Mark leaves. Now, it doesn't say, so really there's no use for us to speculate why he left. But there's some reason he left. He could have been discouraged. We all were discouraged. He may have thought this is not what I signed up for. But he goes back home and leaves Paul and Barnabas. You know, it was hard to see him go, especially for Barnabas. Why don't you just stay? We've just began, but he goes back home. But when they departed they came to Antioch, when they departed from Perga, verse 14, they came to Antioch and Pisidia, 
and went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and sat down. Doesn't say what they did at Perga and Pamphylia, but then they sailed from there to another place called Antioch in Pisidia. What did they do when they came to this place? Where are they going to go? Where, where will people meet in a synagogue? These mostly were Jews. They, these were those that were giving adherence to the old law. And they were probably some Gentiles there among them that had been proselyted over to Judaism, but they had not committed to the, the rite of circumcision. And they went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day because that's when they met. And he goes in and sits down. Now, most of us would picture Paul walking in. We would expect him to walk up and sit on the front row, wouldn't we? More than likely, he sit on the back pew. And what do they do in the synagogue? Well, he tells us. And after the reading of the law and the prophets, you remember in Nazareth when our Lord came back to Nazareth? I think it's in Luke chapter 4. And when he went to the synagogue, why did he go to the synagogue? Because that's where they worshipped on Saturday. They gave him the scriptures and they asked him to read. In the synagogues, they would stand and read the law and the prophets. Similar to what we do. Either me or some other man stands here and reads the scriptures this is what they did. And then someone would probably bring a message. They were reading the law and the prophets, and the ruler of the synagogue said unto them, said unto Paul and Barnabas, You men and brethren, do you have a word of exhortation for the people? Do you have anything to say for the people? Isn't it amazing how God works things out? He didn't go in there demanding and said, I got a message. No. Man asked him, said, sure you got anything for us today? Oh, yeah, Paul's got a message. <laughs> you see how the Lord worked in providence to open up a door for these people. They may have heard some about Jesus Christ, but it was just some hearsay knowledge. They're going to go to hear now. God brought this man here to preach. And that's what he's going to do to these people. He's going to preach to them. You got a word to say so, to them? Oh, yeah. <laughs> do they need to hear? Yeah, without hearing, they'll never believe. Now, they believe in religion. They're, tr they're trusting in the law to make them righteous. That's what they're believing in. Then Paul stood up. He had been sitting down. Why did he stand up? So he could be heard. He stood up and beckoned with his hands and said, You men of Israel and you that fear God, give audience. As I was studying today, it said you know, during those synagogue times, you know, if they had a little break, you, you've seen us how we do. <laughs> You can imagine the place being full, you know, how are you going to calm them down? He stands up and he just kind of motions with his hands. We need to be quiet. And everything got real quiet. And he said, notice how he addressed them. Let me find my text. He said, you men of Israel, he's speaking to the Jews, and you that fear God. Now, they, those that fear God has reference to those Gentiles. How are you going to speak to both of them? How are you going to speak to Jews and Gentiles? Well, we only have one message. He's not going to preach just to the Jews and this to the Gentiles. He's not going to be preach salvation by grace over here to these and salvation by works to these. 
No, he said, I've got something. And he realized who was there that day. And these people need to understand. That's why God brought him here. Sent him here before these people. So he stood up and he beckoned with his hands. And the first thing he tells them, he shows them about God's sovereignty. Now, you talk about that later because that's going to offend them, no? The first thing he's going to show them that God is God. It's not just the, the sovereignty of God, it's the God who is sovereign. Men need, to find, men need to hear this. Most people don't know it. And most people don't like it. Not only is God the, in sovereign in creation, he's sovereign in salvation. He said, verse 17, the God of this people, the, the God of this people of Israel, chose our fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and exalted this people when they dwelt in, in, as strangers in the land of Egypt, and with a high hand, with a high arm, brought he them out of it. Who chose Abraham? God did. Come out of her, the Chaldees. Leave your father and your family there. And he did. God raised up Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and then give Jacob 12 sons. That's the nation of Israel. He sent them to Egypt for for 400 years, and God made him a great nation. God did that. It was no accident. He's just telling these people. He's giving them their history. You know what our history lesson is? In the garden we fell. But God chose a people in Christ before the foundation of the world. That's our history. What is our history? It's his story. How God saves his people. He's sovereign. He's sovereign. And about the time of 40 years, suffered he their manners in the wilderness. He put up with them for 40 years. Not only put, did he put up with them, he provided for them. Their manna, their clothes never wore out, their shoes never wore out. How are they going to survive? He gave them water out of the rock. He gave them quail. He did this. And about the time of 40 years suffered he their manners in the wilderness. And when he had destroyed seven nations in the land of Canaan. Who destroyed them? He did. Seven great nations. Pick you out seven great nations. Any that you could think of. The Russians, the Chinese, the Japanese, the uh, whoever, the uh, UK or whatever. Great nations. Israel, just a little nation. A little nation. They're not, they've not been to the, uh, don't know the art of war. They've never had to fight. How are you going to conquer them? God conquered them. He didn't say they conquered them. You imagine hearing this. Why, I've heard them read that story. I've heard them talk about Egypt and the wilderness and, and Cain. I've heard that story, but you've never heard the truth. All these things, now they knew this. And them Gentiles had been taught this from the law and the prophets that was read to those people every time they came to the synagogue for years and years and years. He's explaining unto them what that meant. 
destroyed seven nations. You know, God said, I gave nations for you. Do you ever think about that? What God did to save you. He delivered seven nations because that land is land that was promised to Abraham. Seven roads destroyed seven nations in the land of Canaan. He divided, he divided their land to them by lot. He said, Melissa, this piece is yours. Sure, this piece is yours. You didn't decide. He gave it to you. This is yours. It's just like Caleb was Mount Horeb. He, God gave it to him. You know what? This is a picture of what we have. God has given it to us in Christ. That's our inheritance. We didn't fight for it. We didn't earn it of our own strength. It was given unto us. He gave them the land. And now we come to verse 20 about our study in the Judges. And after he delivered unto them those nations, he gave unto them judges about the space of 450 years until Samuel the prophet. Who gave them judges? God did. What were the judges? They were saviors. They were deliverers. They were the ones, men, just insignificant men, but they're pictures of Christ and they're pictures of his preachers that he sends to deliver his people. Paul is sent here an insignificant nobody to deliver these people out from the bondage of corruption for 450 years. You know, that's a long time. For 400, till when? Till a man named Samuel, 1 Samuel chapter 1, is born. Who was Samuel? He's a prophet. He's a prophet. There were not many prophets in those days. Samuel was a prophet. If you needed to know the mind of God, the way of God, you went to a prophet. They had the schools of the prophets where they taught men the word of God till Samuel. Samuel. And then, afterward, they desired a king. Who desired a king? Israel did. Why did they want a king? To be like every other nation. We want to be like everybody else. You know who their king is? God is their king. They've not needed a king before, have they? They was 450 years under the judges and they didn't need a king. But everybody did that which was right in his own eyes. He's their king. But they desired a king and God gave unto them Saul, the son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin, by the space of 40 years. So we find out that he was of the tribe of Benjamin. His name was Saul. Most believe that Saul was named after King Saul because they were both of the tribe of Benjamin. And he reigned for 40 years. But he was a wicked king. He was the people's choice of a king. I can see him if a man, average height of a man was six foot, six three, something like that, and he was probably about seven foot tall. From the shoulders up, he was taller than any man. He was a robust of a man, but he was fearful. He was, a, he was afraid. He was not a good ruler. He come, and Samuel did, and he said, God, they want him a king. What am I to do? They come to Samuel, because Samuel was to intercede for them. He said, I don't want him to have a king but I'm going to give them what they think they want. 
Now, I want you to tell him what kind of king he's going to be. He's going to, if he wants to, he can come get your land, Cheryl, or Corey, he can come get it. He decides he wants Ben in his army. He comes and he takes Ben, and Ben says, I don't want to go. That doesn't matter. Whatever the king says has to happen. And he takes king, puts him in the army. Okay, then he comes and gets Marie, said, I want Marie. I want her to work in my kitchen. No, she don't want to go, and I don't want her to go. No, she's going to, to school to be a nurse. Well, that doesn't matter. She's going to work for me. Would you want that kind of king? And that's what the, and you know what they said? That's who we want. Bondage. Trying to kill David. Even tried to kill his own son because he was jealous of his son because he loved David. He's saying, afterward, they desired a king. Why did they, they desired one? And God gave unto them the son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin, by the space of 40 years. And don't you see verse 22? God gave him, and God can remove him. And when he had removed him, who removed King Saul? God did. Why did he remove him? Because there's the real king. God can raise up men, and when they serve his purpose, you read the life of King Saul, it was horrible, horrible. He died a coward. He died falling on his own sword, died a coward because he was jealous of this man over here, the son of Jesse, who is God's chosen king. That's a picture of men hate Christ. They hate the one God chose. And he, when he removed him, he raised up unto them David to be their king, to whom also he gave testimony and said, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after mine own heart, which shall fulfill all my will. Isn't it amazing? He's preaching to them things they know. He's dealing with them where they are. He's explaining these things. Why was David king? God raised him up to sit upon the throne. And he said, upon his throne, there'll be no end. Verse 23 of this man's seed hath God, according to his promise, raised unto Israel a Savior, Jesus. Oh. Oh. Of that man's seed? Yes. He's the lion of the tribe of Judah. He's of the house of David. Bethlehem, the city of what? David. Why was he born? That's where David was born. That's where Jesse was born. That's where David lived, and that's where Christ was born. God has raised up Christ, the king. You know, they questioned our Lord about a lot of things, but they never, ever questioned his genealogy. They kept records of it. It was like, Rahab, and then these, and so on. Read, read Matthew chapter 1. It gives their genealogy. Why, why did God record that? You go, well, he begat such and such. He begat such and such. He had the right. Mary and Joseph both. And we know he came through, she came through Mary. Joseph was not his father. But both of them were of the house of David. Both of them. They're, they were in lineages 
of the king. But the king was not born in a palace. The king was born in a stable. Of that man's seed had God, according to his promise, God promised David, he raised into Israel a savior. There's some good news. <laughs> he raised a savior. You know what men need? They need a savior. Here he speaks of John, the Baptist. We see the work of our Lord. And when John had first preached before his coming, the baptism of repentance to all the people of Israel, he's to prepare the way before the Lord. He's there to tell people there's somebody coming. They thought John was that man. He said, I'm not him. He said, I'm not worthy to even untie his shoes. You know who untied somebody's shoes? That was the slave in the house. They would untie their shoe and take their shoe off and wash their feet. He said, he said I'm not even a common slave. I'm not worthy to untie this. I'm not the Christ. I'm just the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord, make his way straight. And one day he sees him and he says, look yonder, there he is. The son of God who takes away the sin of the world. That's him. They knew about John. They, the Pharisees and they said, are you, are you the Messiah? No, he's not the Messiah. And listen, John, let's see, verse 24, and John had first preached before his coming the baptism of repentance unto all the people of Israel. And when John fulfilled his course, John didn't live long. He's only, uh, what was he, six months older than our Lord. Elizabeth was Mary's first cousin, and Elizabeth was conceived with John. And what I understand, John's ministry only lasts just a little while. You know, our Lord said, among those that are born of women, there's not a greater than John the Baptist. And his ministry only lasted a few months. And he got his head cut off because he told him, a king, it's not right for you to have your brother's wife. But when he had fulfilled his course... God raised him up for that purpose. He said, Whom think ye that I am? am I, not, I am not he, but behold, there cometh one after me whose shoes, his feet I am not worthy to unloose. Men and brethren, children of the stock of Abraham, and whosoever among you feareth God, to you is the word of this salvation sent. He's saying, God has sent you this word. For they that dwell in Jerusalem... And their rulers, because they knew him not. Why did they do what they did? Because they didn't know him. Why do men knew, why do men today do what they do? They don't know him. Nor the voices of the prophets. Well, I've done told you that they read the prophets to them, but they didn't know them. Which are read every Sabbath day they have fulfilled them in condemning him. Even in condemning him, they were fulfilling the scriptures. We find it, I think it's back in chapter, it's Acts 2.23. Him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, you have taken him by wicked hands, have crucified him and slain him. 
Why did they kill him? Why did they crucify him? Because they didn't know him. Who is this man? You know, who, you know how he died? As a common criminal. That's who they looked at on him. And I could see people in that audience. What do you think they're thinking? He ain't nothing. He was just trying to be somebody. He died just a common death like a common criminal. He wasn't no savior. Now hold on. And though they found no cause of death in him, yet they desired Pilate that he should be that he should be slain. You mean you're going to kill a man you don't find any fault with him? You can't bring any charges against him? Well, no, they couldn't because there was no sin in him. Why would you kill a man like that? Why would, why would you do that? He's telling them they're a bunch of, that we are all a bunch of murderers. I saw the other day, I just looked up something, and I'm thinking, why is there so much hatred of the Jews? Why is there so much hatred? You know what they said? Well, the Jews killed Christ. No, we all did. Parried and Pontius Pilate and every one of us said, kill him, kill him. We don't want him. And they found no death in him, yet desired they Pilate that he should kill him. We want rid of this man. He's explaining to these people what they did. Because now, you know, they've probably heard hearsay. People, you know how tales get told. You know how they get changed. For the first time in their life, they get to hear the truth. You desired an innocent man. And you told Pilate, we don't, we don't care if he's innocent. We don't, we, that doesn't matter. That doesn't even enter the, the equation. We want him dead. Why would people act that way? Because we're depraved. Verse 29, and when they had fulfilled all that was written of him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in a sepulcher. Remember when he was on the cross, he said, I thirst. And he said, when, so the scriptures might be fulfilled, he said, it is finished. He bowed his head and gave up the ghost. And they took him down from the tree and laid him in a sepulcher. Why did they do that? He's dead. Well, why did he die? God can't die, but the God-man can. Why did he die? He was innocent. He, he, he committed no sin. But you don't sentence, you don't crucify an innocent man. You crucify a guilty man. In my place, he took my guilt, my shame, and my sin. God doesn't punish a, a righteous man. He punishes a guilty man. We can't explain this. He was made sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. He said to put him in a sepulcher. And that could have been the end of it as far as they thought. Oh, yeah, we've heard about that. Oh, we've heard about John the Baptist, and we've heard about Jesus. We've, everybody knows about that one that died outside, the, outside Jerusalem, outside the walls, but that's the end of it. He was a good man. He was a good teacher. That's the end of it. That ain't the end of it. You know what Paul says? That same one that died, God raised him from the dead. Why did God raise him from the dead? Because he satisfied his law. 
Why do not any other men raise themselves? Why are other men not be raised from the dead? Because of sin. Sin shall not have dominion over us. We're not under law. We're under grace. But death couldn't hold him. Why? Why did he rise from the grave to save his people? He was delivered for our offenses, and he was raised again for our justification. Well, did anybody see him after he was raised from the dead? Well, sure that we did. You remember what Thomas said? The disciples, he came to the, the, Thomas wasn't there that first Sunday night, and as they met and Christ came, they told Thomas, said, I don't believe it. I, I don't care how much you talk about it. I don't care how much you say it. I, don't will, I will not believe it. I won't believe it. Till I see the places in his hand and take my hand and stick it in his side. Well, the next Sabbath day, Thomas is there, and Jesus appears. And he said, Thomas, look at here. Take your hands, handle me, and see it's me. I'm not dead. I'm alive. And you want know to Thomas said, my Lord and my God. <laughs> what am I saying? He's alive. Why, why is this so important? All of our salvation rests upon him rising from the dead. God delivered him for our sakes. And when he was seen, verse 31, of many witnesses, when he was seen many days of them which came up with him from Je- Galilee to Jerusalem, who are his witnesses unto his people. They are witnesses. Everyone in this building that has been converted is a witness to the fact that Jesus Christ lives. And he is their Savior. He set him free. And he was delivered for our offenses. They are witnesses unto his people. And we declare unto you glad tidings. How that the promise which was made unto the fathers, God hath fulfilled the same unto us, their children, in that he hath raised up Jesus again, as it is also written in the second Psalms. Let's just turn over there just for a second. He's quoting Psalms chapter 2. Well, let's read what Psalms chapter 2 says. See, they knew these scriptures just like... I said, let's turn to Psalms chapter 2. You're familiar with that. You know where it's at. They, and those people probably didn't have a copy of the scriptures, but the, you know what they had to do? They had to memorize them. Memorize them. You remember when we used to have to memorize something? <laughs> Most of the time, if I just memorized it, I, I'd soon forget it. If, it. if I was memorizing just facts for a test, when the test is over, I forgot every bit of it. But here in Psalms chapter 2, why do the heathen rage and the people imagine vain things? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us break their bands asunder. Let us cast away their cords from us. Well, what's God's response? The kings say, We don't want him reigning over us. We don't want anybody especially Jesus telling us what to do. He ain't going to be our king. He that sitteth in the heavens shall laugh. He laughs at their stupidity. Laughs. The Lord shall have them in derision. He shall speak unto them in his wrath and vex them in his sore displeasure. 
Yet have I set my king upon my holy hill of Zion. I will declare the decree. The Lord has said unto me, Thou art my son. And he quotes this right here. Thou art my son. This day have I begotten thee. Ask of me and I shall give thee the heathen for thine inheritance. What? He gives him the heathen for his inheritance? Yeah. And the uttermost parts of the earth for thy possession. Thou shalt break them with a rod of iron. Thou shalt dash them as potter, his peace like a potter's vessel. Be wise now, therefore, O ye kings, and be instructed, you judges of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Now here in verse 12, he lays it at your feet. Kiss the son, lest he be angry, and you perish from the way when his wrath is kindled but a little. Blessed are all they that put their trust in the Lord. Paul's preaching to these people. And he's going to conclude he wants them to put their trust in Christ. You can't trust in a God you've never heard about. You cannot trust in a Savior you've never heard about. Let me find where I was at. Verse 34, and as concerning that he raised him up from the dead, now no more to return to corruption. He said in this wise, I give unto you the sure mercies of David. Wherefore he also saith in another psalm, Thou art, thou shalt not suffer thine holy one to see corruption. For David, after he had served his own generation by the will of God, fell on sleep. We saw that John, who fulfilled his ministry, when did David die? When he served his generation. You know what we see there? What is our responsibility? What was David's responsibility? It was to honor God, glorify God, and to serve the generation in which he lived. He wanted to build the Lord a house, a temple. But the Lord said, no, you're not going to, but your son Solomon will. But you know what David did? He got all the material together. He served he served his generation. Instead of the generation serving him, he served that generation. It didn't say he died. He fell on sleep. What a picture of a believer. You know what, what's going to happen one day for a believer? You're going to lay down. You're going to close your eyes. And you're going to go sleep. And you're going to wake up in his presence. And this spirit, they ain't no corruption. <laughs> Now, these old bodies are corrupt. They're going to go back to the dust. They saw, but he whom God raised again saw no corruption. Especially Melissa knows this because she studied medicine and all this. It's, then it doesn't take long after a body, after the spirit leaves it, that it, it, it right then begins to decay. We're actually decaying now. Well, why didn't Jesus decay? Why didn't his physical his physical body, why didn't it decay? There's no sin. Why do we decay? Sin. Sin destroys it. There was no sin. The sin's been put away. He didn't, he didn't raise a decayed body. He raised the very same body that he was born with, that he lived upon this earth with, and the same body that they nailed him to the cross. That's why there was not a bone in his body was broken. And he still has the places in that same body. 
Why? Because one day he's going to raise your vile body. This is our hope. What if we take away the resurrection? Where's our hope? Oh, you're going to live one day and then you're going to die and they're going to throw you in a grave somewhere and your body's going to rot. What hope is that? Oh, what a blessed hope we have. He lives, he rules, and he reigns. But be it known unto you. Now watch this. Therefore, men and brethren, that, that through this man is preached unto you the forgiveness of sins. I'm telling you, the only way you can be forgiven of your sins is through Christ. It's not because of your works. It's not because of nothing you do. We're nothing but sinners. Nothing but sinners. There's not a minisecond that we don't sin. You can't stop yourself from sinning. Well, how, I, how can I be forgiven of my sins? All of them. Past, present, and future. Christ died and put away my sins. He buried them and he rose from the dead and they're gone. What blessed hope. What blessed hope. But be it known unto you, therefore men and brethren, that through this man, through this man, and it's only through Christ that's preached unto you the forgiveness of sin. And that by him, all that believe are justified from all things. Isn't it amazing? Look, see where he started. He started with the fathers choosing them, bringing them through the wilderness, bringing them, bringing them through and in Christ being born of the city of David. That you, what, that you can have forgiveness of sin and be justified. How can a man be justified? Because if the sin's been put away, who shall lay anything to the charge of God's lay? It's God that justifies. You know what he says? Sure, that man's not in, that man's not guilty. Justified. How can a man be justified with God? He died the just for the unjust to bring us to God. That's why he died. That's why he, that's why he rose. He was delivered for our offenses, but he was raised again for our justification. These people never heard anything like this. Well, if you'll keep the law, you can be justified. If you eat the right food, you can be justified. If you do this or do that, you can make yourself holy. You can... Let me read verse 39 again. And by him, all that believe. All that believe. The question is, do we believe? All that believe are justified from all things. From which you could not be justified by the law of Moses. Now, they had been taught the law of Moses. The law of Moses had been read to them. Most people... Everybody, not most people, everybody that does not believe that you're justified by Christ, believe that you're justified by your works. It's either grace or works. No in-between. How's a man justified? Is he by making a decision, by reading his Bible, by saying his prayers, by, by doing good deeds to people? Is that what just can that if you if you had a scale and your sins over here do I guess your good deeds kind of balancing it don't even move the scale. I told that man in the scriptures, he said, you've been weighed in the balance. And you've been found wanting. 
but somebody had to balance the scales. Hey, you know, you ever seen that sign of justice? Justice is blind. And you know what she's holding up? She's holding up balances. What's going what's to balance things out? The blood of Jesus Christ. Put away sin. That's it. I'm satisfied. Now watch what it says, verse 40 and verse 41, and we'll, and we'll stop. Be there for, be, beware, therefore. Now he's going to bring them to the point. Basically going to make them, bring them to a point they have to decide. Choose you this day whom you will serve. Now you've, now you've heard what I said. Beware, therefore, lest that come upon you which is spoken in, of in the prophets. He's not telling them something new. He's just reminding them of something maybe they forgot. Behold, you despisers and wonders. You know what he's saying? Don't you despise what I just told you. What are you going to do with what I just told you? You going to bow to it? Or are you going to despise it? Behold, you despisers and wonders and perish. For I work a work in your days, a work shall in which, it, which ye shall in no wise believe, though a man declare it unto you. That's what, that's what just happened. A man declared these things unto you. And he said, you beware not believing it. Just hearing what I said doesn't make you righteous. Just believing what I've said doesn't make you a believer. He said, you be wise. If today, if you hear his voice, harden not your heart. And you know the scripture he quoted? Paul always referred back to the Old Testament scriptures because that's what they knew. That's what they trusted in. And what he did, he explained what those scriptures meant. Or he proclaimed to them. Habakkuk, that small book, Chapter 1, verse 5, Behold ye among the heathen, and regard and wonder marvelously. But I will work a work in your days which you shall not believe, though it be told unto you. You tell most people, and they don't believe. If we really believed, it would terrify us. We would be running to Christ. But what's amazing is God brought these people together and he told them the truth. And I want to give you a little bit because, Lord willing, we won't meet next week because we're going to North Carolina. It'll be a couple of weeks before we meet on down in the chapter. Those Jews didn't like what they heard. They didn't like it at all. Because if we believe in that Jesus, we're, we're saying our works don't save us. And we're not going to do that. And you know what the Gentiles said? Man, that's the best news I've ever heard. I never heard nothing like that where I come from. We lived in darkness all our life. And they said, you know what they said? Paul, would you preach that to us next Sabbath day, next Saturday? He said, sure, wouldn't well, I? You know, Paul, he ain't going to wait the next Saturday to preach to him. He preached to him all week. But that next Saturday, it says the, almost the whole city come to hear the gospel. And the Jews get jealous. You know what them Jews had been trying to do? 
You know, you know what our Lord said? You will compass, you will travel to sea and land and to make one proselyte. A proselyte is a convert to what you believe. Oh, they're interested in converting people to what they believe. That's what people in religion are doing. But they're not interested in you knowing the Lord. We've been trying to do this for years, and we can't get anybody to come except a few Gentiles. And they heard what this man said. They heard what who this man was talking about, and the whole city wants to come. Paul said, "You judged yourself unworthy. You don't want. You didn't want to hear the gospel. You don't have to hear it. These people want to hear. God made them want to hear. And you know what it said." as many as were ordained unto eternal life, believe. <laughs> if men really believed, you couldn't find a seat on Sunday morning. But what I want us to see, this is still how God saves sinners. We tell men from the scriptures, and we deal with them where they are, who they are, and what Christ has done, and he did it on purpose to save his people. And now will you believe? Lord, I believe. Help thou mine unbelief. I tell you this, if I've never believed, God help me to believe right now. If all my whole life has been nothing but a sham, God forgive me. Because I can't. there's nothing I can do to earn forgiveness. It's at Christ and at his feet.